We're your hosts, Cherry Chan and Thomas Shum, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to Queers and Allies. Welcome to the very first installment of Queers and Allies. We're your hosts, Cherry. And I'm Thomas. And today we have with us Dr. Brenda Allegra, who teaches gender studies here at HKU. And we also have Raj Reyes, who also teaches gender studies here at HKU. So welcome, you guys. Thank you for having us. And uh, um, hello to all of your listeners. Yeah, we're glad to be here. So could you both briefly introduce what you do here at HKU and describe what your job entails and... Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll go first. I'm a teaching assistant slash tutor for the class Gender and Sexuality. So it's a common core class. So currently we have 111 students. So basically, we, you know, the topics that we cover is basically anything about gender and uh, how culture, you know, politics, you know, surroundings really affect how we see our own genderedness and other people's genderedness and also within the context of history. So... And um, so I'm co-teaching with Raj, uh, the Sexuality and Gender Common Core, or CCHU 9007. (laughs) Um, This Common Core has been around for more than 10 years now, and I think it's one of the most popular uh, Common Core here in um, HKU. And But aside from that, I created a new course for the Gender Studies program called TransAsia. And the focus of that is on transness and otherness in Asia and uh, focusing on a specific context of like in the Philippines, in Hong Kong, China, and in Thailand. So I think, and it's running well so far, you know, and um, I think our, our most of our students um, have a gender studies major or minor, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. So can you both also tell us a little bit about how how did you come into edu- um, education here in Hong Kong and why specifically you chose to study and teach gender studies? Well, actually, I would like to thank Brenda for bringing me here to Hong Kong. So just a quick backgrounder. Uh, I, I didn't study here in Hong Kong. I actually studied in the Philippines. So I'm started working here back in 2019. Actually, my first job is here in Hong Kong University back in 2019. And it's basically the same subject that I'm also currently teaching with Brenda. So uh, prior to that, when Brenda was asking if I'm interested to join her here, because uh, my field before is not education. It's really I'm part of the corporate world. So I'm working as a, you know in an industry, specifically tele- telecommunications. But uh, during that time, I was like thinking of you know branching out into a different industry. And I feel like the previous industry that I was in, I pretty much maxed out. And I'm looking for you know growth and opportunity. You know how that goes. So I share that with Brenda, and then Brenda mentioned, and this was. Back in 2015, 2016, we were talking about that. And she was saying that there might be an opportunity in the future during that time. So fast forward to 2019, there was an opportunity and to teach here uh, in Hong Kong, specifically on a subject that is quite close to my heart, which is, you know, educating kids <laughs> or the young ones about, uh, you know, gender and how that affects the way that we see ourselves, you know, how society sees us and how we interact with each other because of, you know, the the way that, you know, stereotypes and prejudices affect the way that, you know, we see society in general. And your activism in the Philippines also. Oh yeah, 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 and and that too. So I'm I'm not really currently attached to a specific group. I like to see myself as a freelancer in terms of you know joining different groups that actively 
uh, pursue, you know, equal rights and opportunities for, you know, queer community in the Philippines. So the uh, one of the, the most recent uh, active uh, involvement that I had was uh, when we went to the Senate in the Philippines and we were fighting for the anti-discriminatory bill. Uh, basically providing well equal rights to the queer community you know and uh, making sure that we are all protected regardless of gender and uh, expression and raj mentioned um uh, working in the corporate world that's where we met also about 20 almost 20 years ago actually i started when i was still in university yeah, and we both have a common friend who's a, a trans woman who experienced a discrimination because of quote-unquote cross-dressing, but actually she's a trans woman. And I think that triggered the, the activist spirit in me, so that's where it started. And it also um, solidified my intentions of doing research on transness, particularly on the experiences of trans women. So when I was doing my postgraduate studies in the Philippines, um, I decided to to study more about trans women's experiences. And it is through that that I met Professor Sam Winter. So Sam Winter is a cis, uh, white, straight uh, professor who has become an ally to the LGBT community. He used to teach here at the university for about 30 years, actually. And he was the one who created Sexuality and Gender, the course that we are now teaching. And then um, he became my co-supervisor um, for my uh, postgraduate studies. We have an MA and a PhD program in the Philippines, so uh, in both cases. And and then later on, he hired me as a research assistant in the Philippines when he was doing an Asia big data study on trans women's um, hormone use. Now, later on, he asked me if, just like, um, I think our, our stories are kind of similar also, because I was also uh, asked by Sam if I'm interested to work here. And I started as a teaching assistant, and I said yes, because I think I was working towards that path also. So I think merging all of the things that I've been doing, you know, so advocacy work with trans communities and then studying trans people, particularly trans women narratives, and then now teaching sexuality and gender. So I'd like to ask you guys, what are the main differences between LGBTQ community and culture in the Philippines versus Hong Kong? Seeing as you both are from the Philippines, and I know, Raj, you've only been here for a year. Brenda, you've been here for... Ten years. Ten years. So where do we see a difference in between the cultural divide and how, how do people view the idea of transness or non-binary people? I think well, one of the differences would be, on like, in the Philippines, we are a very strongly um, Christianized society. So I think... Um, that has such an influence on on the way that society views queerness and uh, transness um, in general. And however, Philippine society I think is more tolerant of LGBT communities because of our visibility. So I think as a community and as a population or as people, we have made ourselves um, very visible. We I think there is that innate confidence to embrace our identities. But then um, it is. People might misconstrue that as acceptance, but it's just plain tolerance because we don't have a gender recognition law. We don't have the anti-discrimination uh, ordinance that Raj mentioned earlier. We don't have that. And uh, in terms of the anti-discrimination 
ordinance, the proposition of that is also viewed as a direct violation of the the, the church's teaching. So even the church contradicts our intention to be protected, you know, from discrimination because the church also views um, queerness as an immorality or a sin. So I think that's that's the the main um, hurdle for us. I think you know the the, the immoralization of our queerness. Whereby here in Hong Kong, how I see it, there's there's some factors of that. You know, I think the 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 Christian groups here may be smaller, but they are kind of powerful, especially when they reach the influence of legislation. You know, so because they are they are you know they bring with them their secular minds. You know, in in uh, rejecting or accepting propositions for protections for LGBT people and what you know and whatnot. And uh, I think the other difference as well is the LGBT community here is emerging at this point. So I think the last 10 years, I've seen them emerge, but not as um, as visible as I wish them to be. Unlike in the Philippines that I think are, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, we could fill up several venues, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, I, well, I started living here in 2019, but I started coming here to Hong Kong as a tourist since 2010. So every year I would, you know, this is like one of my favorite places to visit every year. And uh, and I agree with Brenda. I mean, that's one of the major reasons, uh, one of the major differences of the Philippines versus Hong Kong in terms of the queer community. The Philippines is very much, you know, we try to say that we are a democratic country, but it's really a theocratic you know, meaning we are still ruled by religion and our religion really much rules the government also. So all the policies are really linked with, you know, how Christians or Catholics would react to certain uh, to laws, basically, because we are still predominantly a Catholic country. However, the I don't say the irony, but, you know, though we are a, a, a Catholic country, I feel like we are more a matriarchal society. They say the Philippines as compared to all over, different countries all over the world have uh, more equal rights as compared to, you know, even advanced countries. So maybe that feminine angle allows us to be more visible. Uh, as compared to here in Hong Kong, the queer community that I see here are usually those events that are really geared towards queer community. So if I'm walking in the streets of the Philippines, I will see more flamboyant queer people walking in the streets, you know, uh, entertainment is pretty much uh, an industry dominated by the queer community also. Versus here in Hong Kong, I seldom see that along in the streets. In fact, there was only one instance last week that I saw, and I'm assuming, I don't know, like a queer couple holding hand, and I was really surprised because it was like a, a a unique experience for me to see it here, out and uh, loud in front of other people in the middle of the streets holding hands. So it's the visibility here is not as you know pronounced as compared to the Philippines in everyday life. Um, I'd like to add that there's there is a, another sad difference also because like here in in Hong Kong as uh, trans non-binary queer people, I think we would be lucky to extend our life. <laughs> you know, because there is some some sense of security and safety in terms mm -hmm. of being queer, you know, being trans, you know, or I mean, but because back home we may be more visible, we may be happier in the environment, somehow not totally happy, but then there is constant danger also yeah. because um, the um, the hatred, um, hate crimes towards trans LGBT people can happen every now and then. 
So I know that you guys have both briefly talked about it in your last answer, but I want to ask you guys, have you seen any improvements towards LGBT acceptance in Hong Kong versus when you first arrived? Is this opening up Hong Kong's sort of view on on queer couples or, or LGBTQ people in general? Or do you think people are just more liberal or in general? or what are, what are your views on this? I think it's a generation thing also because uh, I could speak about, you know, the subject that we're teaching, I mean, the gender and sexuality. It's usually your, I'm assuming, same generation as you guys. You are more open to the idea of queerness. And whenever I talk to them, it's really the issue of, but my parents are not. Okay, so I think it's there's a factor of that generation that you being more exposed to a global mindset or a global culture that it's okay to be not part of the binary but however i'm kind of caught between tradition and you know being progressive uh you know basing it on my interactions with them definitely you know the parents of those students attending our classes are still holding on to they would say traditional confucianist uh in a filial piety kind of traditions. Yeah, I agree. I think at this point, there is some um, getting used to already opening up, you know, because the, the queer community here itself is making themselves heard now. So we're slowly getting there. Hopefully, we get there faster, you know. So the both of you mentioned, well, Brenda mentioned spaces, particularly involved in where trans or non-binary um, people don't really feel like... Do, is that is that the case where there is not enough spaces here in Hong Kong that catered specifically for trans or non-binary people? Yeah, because um, like for a trans woman like me, it I have to negotiate for the recognition of my gender identity. Not necessarily my gender expression. So they may not, you know, mind how I look like, but then I have to ask them to... to uh, place my preferred name as often as possible. I even had an experience um, um, twice um, but at the health service, being called by my passport name or my given name, which is a masculine name. Um, and that's not the name I'm using anymore. And in, in fact, it's a name I don't w wish to use. But uh, when I was at the infirmary and I, I was feeling down already physically and it added to my misery <laughs> because I was called by my masculine name, you know, and, and not my preferred name. So but fortunately, the doctor was very nice. And so I, I spoke to the doctor and asked at the end of the session if it's possible for them to actually you know, allow me to use my preferred name. And then th since then, because I don't want to keep coming back to the health service. But I think that is... Um, uh, a, a problematic situation for at least trans people and maybe even uh, non-binary people. Well, I identify as a non-binary person. So to me, because uh, even within the non-binary community, you know, they have different definitions of what that is specifically to their individuality. So I'm a male assigned at birth. And uh, when someone asks me my preferred pronouns, you know, uh, re it's a recent, uh, you know, uh, terminology to use they for non-binary. For me, however, and I'm talking about, you know, personally, if someone refers to me as a he or a she or a they, I'm comfortable with any of the pronouns. In fact, whenever they ask me, I'd rather go with just my name, Raj. I'm kind of pronoun, you know, allergic. <laughs> I'm beyond pronouns. And that's me as a non-binary person because I'm comfortable 
being feminine, I'm being comfortable being masculine, I'm comfortable being both, I'm comfortable not being either, you know. It really depends on, I don't know, alignment of the planets or my mood for the day. I'm quite uh, fluid about the gender. So in terms of space, you know, I'm, I'll be using like the, the toilet or the comfort room. I'm comfortable using the male aside or the men's toilet. Or if, if that's full, then I'm comfortable using the women's toilet also. In fact, when we attended one of the events, Brenda went to the, of course, the women's CR, and I was about to go to the men's CR. And the usher was, you know, uh, asking me to go to the women's CR because probably I look feminine, you know, using Hong Kong standard of femininity. Uh, so I was uh, quite confused because he, he was speaking probably in Cantonese. I couldn't really understand. And then he started pointing at the, the, the logo of the toilet and then pointing at me again. And I was like, oh, no, I'm here. I'm here. And then he got it. That, oh, and he apologized. But again, in terms of my space as a non-binary person, I am more fluid in terms of what is available in terms of gender. But, you know, I also appreciated that. I noticed also here in Hong Kong, there's a universal toilet. Oh. And when that is available, is it the Swine Building where the Ebenezer restaurant is? Swar building, right? There's like a men's toilet, a women's toilet, and in the middle is a universal toilet. Ah. So whenever that option is available, I use the universal toilet because I feel like I'm embracing all genders. <laughs> is that common in Hong Kong, having a universal toilet? Not really. It's still kind of rare, you but know. Very rare. We're not excusing, you know, the society for, for it, you know, but unfortunately, it's better than nothing because at least we may be very slow, but at least we're opening up. But hopefully, we, we catalyze this action. And Raj was talking about also um, genderedness in terms of your ability to use certain spaces, like particularly toilets, like for, for non-binary um, and uh, other gender diverse uh, people, especially also trans people, these are the most critical aspects of our day-to-day. -day. And there have been many cases of trans people here in Hong Kong who have already been charged with loitering cases because of attempting to, if not having successfully used the toilet or changing rooms and um, shower rooms that are in public. And that's very challenging. Um, and that's for trans binary people, you know, because of course, if you're a trans woman, you you would likely prefer to be in the uh, female space and then trans men in the male space. So negotiating, you know, our usage of, of these spaces in itself is already uh, problematic. And I think at this point, Hong Kong hasn't really reached the point of being very open in terms of that. So we are constantly, you know, negotiating for that recognition. And the legal aspect of that negotiation is one thing. And even if we succeed there, the social aspect is another because the day-to-day -day downside of that is we would just be somewhere using the women's toilet. And then a local person may not really like our presence because it's like an invasion or of their space or we are viewed as threats to security. And also it shows us how unfortunate our bodies are gendered mm -hmm. in certain ways, you know. It works well for some people, but not for the others. Yes. And I think uh, in East Asia, that is very much um, a, a culture, the genderedness of the body, especially the embodiment of the feminine in the body itself. The reason why we started this podcast is because we felt like there was a lack of education here amongst, especially here at the University of Hong Kong, where we are in, quote unquote, the best university here in Hong Kong. We're supposed to have the best education, the most liberal thinking. 
and students here are supposed to be the best and brightest, right? Mm -hmm. But yet we still see examples of where students use slurs or terms to degrade other things based on gender or, or use slurs that are, that are very offensive to the LGBTQ community. And we thought that this podcast would be a great idea to let people know about why this is wrong and why we should be more educated about the LGBTQ community. So how should we, speaking personally, I'm, I'm straight, I'm, I'm a local here in Hong Kong, I, I don't really know much about the LGBTQ communities. Um, how can people like me people who don't know much about the community, be more educated about the topic and be more, I guess, aware these slurs are offensive. I mean, back in our generation, we didn't have that uh, resource. I mean, I remember when we were still studying in college or in tertiary education. Well, in my university, there will just be a shelf on gender, specifically on queer community versus it's a really big library internet was really not robust back then you know so one is you know you could educate yourself personally go on the web you know there, there are a lot of uh, you know educational material there another is uh, you could enroll in our program if you want to I mean we the the course that I'm currently involved in we're getting students from different courses you know the first question I would ask them is why are you taking this course you don't really need it in your course or in your subject you know and I would get varied answers like, you know, oh, because I have a friend who's actually part of the queer community and I wanted to be a good friend. So that's wonderful. You know, understanding the personal aspect of the queer community is our human beings. There's no excuse for not to learn more about the community. In fact, if I'm going to flip that around, I think it's just really if you don't want to learn about it, then I question why not? Yeah, so... I think um, somewhere in our education system, we have to be reminded, you know, that we have to be more reflective of our actions because it's not just lack of understanding of the queer population, you know, that we may be lacking here. I think, Raj, you were talking about um, expanding on that, the, the lack of sex education. Oh, yeah. Thomas was mentioning that, you know, education in terms of gender is that there is an opportunity here. But there, we also have students who, the reason why they enrolled in our program is because they're saying that in their secondary or primary school, in terms of sex education, it's really not as robust. It's very little. In fact, uh, they could count in the number of fingers in their hands, the, the number of hours that they actually focus on. Uh, talking about sexuality and it's not just about the queer community I mean gender and sexuality in general n not just being part of the queer community but also being a straight person you know uh, they would only mention that you know uh, during their sex education classes which may be just one hour for the entire year they would just talk about how not to get pregnant and how to use a condom <laughs> and that's pretty much it yeah, so I think your podcast is a great place yes. to start, you know, and um, hopefully that there will be more of this. Well, over the years, we're actually we're indulging the requests of the mm -hmm. students. So there are there are students from different faculties and postgraduate and undergrad who are asking. In fact, even secondary school, I remember mm -hmm. some years ago, someone doing a capstone uh, uh, and then wanted to do a research for their capstone on trans, even regardless how busy we are. Uh, we accommodate uh, these requests because it's an opportunity for us to actually educate them. You know, much as like we wanted to start talking somewhere, the, our, our mere presence can probably put off someone already. Mm -hmm. So, but then if you are less threatening and you start talking about it, they will probably open up. 
And then that's when we can come in because we have that authentic experience yeah. that we embody and then now maybe they will realize that there is something missing in their lives and that is acceptance. So to wrap it up, do you guys have any final comments or thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners? We are not threats to anyone's security and safety. In, in fact, we are potential friends uh, or if not lovers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, you, if you just allow us, there's nothing to be scared of. I think people think that uh, queer people are perverts, but pervs are everywhere and they come in different genders and sexuality. So LGBT people are not pervs in, you know, automatically, right? Um, in, in fact, we are victims of violence. We are victims of harassment uh, as well. Um, and in fact, we are victims of a lot of things on a day-to-day -day basis. And then second, you, you have a lot of privileges already. Uh, we are not asking for privileges. We're just asking for recognition, inclusion, equality. What you have, hopefully we can have. Um, we want respect. We don't like conversations, you know, using us as compromise, you know, like, oh, that's so gay. Oh, that's so trans. That's a monster, blah, blah, blah. We are not excuses, you know, for people, right? And wh why go that route? And you may not know it, but uh, your sibling might actually turn out to be LGBT. So you better start learning about acceptance as early as now because you have to accept your sibling because that is highly possible, right? Don't uh, see us as the other. I think that's where issues and problems arise when you choose to see another group of people and label them as the other. But if you see and choose to see people who may not necessarily look like you to be the same in terms of the human experience, then it will be easier for you to relate to another person, even if that person has a different experience or a different way of expressing himself. That's what's missing also in the world right now. Whenever we put up these barriers because this person is different from me and hence doesn't really understand my experience and hence I will not understand her or his experience. So come from that space and I think that's where it will blossom your curiosity of learning more, of understanding more, of accepting more, and celebrating more. Everybody, regardless of color, race, or creed. All right. Thank you for your time, Raj and Dr. Allegri. We're very happy to have you on the show. And um, yeah, thanks for being with us. And thanks for talking to our audience as well.